and through my philosophy as a dietitian, all food has a purpose. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything, and I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. And before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general education purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And we always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly, which I mean, you could talk to Kathleen, our guest today. She is a licensed professional. She's not your licensed professional unless you want to sign up for some virtual counseling with her. But Kathleen, I have started following you on Instagram. You are the RD nutritionist. I don't know, probably only a year or two ago when I started branching out from my very small mindset of what I thought health was, which was very much around healthism and orthorexia and all this kind of mindset with dieting and really started to expand the idea that I could be healthy without dieting. I could be healthy at any size and all of these kinds of things. And I love that there are professionals out there like you, willing to say these sort of things to help people understand that health is so much more than what we've been taught to believe for so long from a societal perspective. So I really appreciate you coming on to the show today. Can you maybe introduce yourself to our listeners who might not know you already? Yes, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So I'm Kathleen Meehan. I'm a registered dietitian and I subscribe to the anti-diet philosophy. I always tell people, certainly not the education that I received, but from working with people and listening with people, it's the only way forward, in my opinion. And I really just feel passionately about helping people improve their relationship to food and body. And I think we have to do that by what you were talking about, expanding how we look at things like health and considering that a really binary definition of health doesn't allow for any nuance. And it's way more complicated than we've made it seem really. So I feel like my through my perspective, we can't be restrictive in our behaviors. We have to advocate for respectful care for all people, really encouraging connection to the body and also naming the ways in which that is challenging. Yeah, it feels really important to have this sort of philosophy. So that's the way that I practice. I love it. And what I'm excited to talk about today is this idea that a lot of people this time of year are being bombarded with the exact opposite of that, right? This idea that oh, if we splurged over the holidays, if we did too much or whatever, like now we need to punish ourselves for it, or we need to make it right, whatever the wrong was. And I think those, as you said, binary type concepts are really play into being able to sell someone something, right? If you can categorize something good, bad, like as simple as that, then 
it's easier to go into a shame cycle to then say, okay, now it's time to, now I just sold you all the cookies and all the things. And now I'm going to take you on this other side of the ride and I'm going to take you on a diet. And it's a never ending cycle that people can't get off. But hopefully I know our listeners are working actively every day to try to get off that cycle. Hopefully we can talk about some of that. And also I would argue um, to a point where creating boundaries around some of the relationships that people might have when these things are introduced. I find that's an area that I'm still struggling with how to handle. Like I might subscribe to this concept and be working on it for myself. And at the same time, that doesn't make it easy or comfortable to create boundaries around like not having these kinds of toxic conversations with other people in our lives. So even listeners, if you're already like, part of this mindset, I think that it can be helpful to have a conversation that allows us to then engage in dialogue with others who might benefit from this if we can help them along the way. So maybe we can get that conversation started by even just defining like, what is anti-diet? As you called yourself, you're an anti-diet dietitian. (laughs) What does that even mean to frame some of these conversations that you know, we'll have here, but also other people might be not even realizing they're having in their day-to-day life. Yeah, I think the term anti-diet, I don't know exactly where it came from at first, but I think it was almost born out of necessity because dietitian literally has the term diet in it. And, you know, that I think originally was more about a pattern of eating and the way a person eats, but it has obviously evolved into something else. And there are plenty of dietitians. I'm not going to get into that. That's an aside. So anyway, I feel like there's a need to promote yourself or define yourself differently saying I'm anti-diet. And for me, that represents avoiding restrictive eating and grappling with fat phobia and recognizing all the ways in which traditional eating, or I should say like traditional recommendations for eating and things like that may actually reduce connection to your body and may make it harder to listen to cues related to certainly things like appetite and fullness and satiety, but also pleasure and satisfaction and things like that. And the anti-diet aspect of this is that we're trying to regain connection to that rather than focus on the things that might take you further away from connection to your body. I haven't heard it described that way. And I really love the concept of if you're following a set of rules and if you're following, whether it's a set of rules around what foods you can or cannot eat or the quantity you can or cannot eat, it's really pushing you into not listening to your body. It's, it, that intention is actually telling you to not listen to your body. That's a really analogy that I, or explanation that I hadn't really considered before. And I think the example that comes to mind is nut butter in the Mm. community that I'm in, right? Like I started out as a paleo person, whether blogger, cookbook author, whatever, and also was a competitive athlete for quite a while. And I remember countless times people telling me how important it was to measure my nut butter because you would accidentally eat more than you intended if you didn't. 
And meanwhile, like looking back on it, like my body was looking to be satiated. Like it was being devoid of so many, not just calories, but also like micronutrients and different kinds of things because I'd eliminated so many food groups and I was limiting on limiting. And so of course, when I was making a smoothie or whatever, I'd be like, no, I need more. Or if I wanted to have an apple with nut butter, I'm going to want more than just one tablespoon of nut butter with my apple. And my body was telling me that, right? My body was telling me like, this nut has nutrients that you need and eat more of it. And looking back, the shame and guilt that I had when I realized how much more nut butter I was eating than the one tablespoon or fruit, right? Like how many times do you hear people feel badly about eating fruit because it has fructose, blah, blah, blah. And our bodies tell us those things. There are really great beneficial properties about fruits and nuts. So yeah, I love that analogy. I think that's a great example of why we want to turn down the noise. So you were getting cues to eat these foods in normal amounts, by the way. It's normal to want more than a teaspoon of nut butter. And when we are told that that is incorrect or wrong, or you shouldn't do that for the sake of something that feels as important as your health or societal acceptance, it's really understandable that would be followed up by guilt and shame. And I have to say that was one of the that was part of my sort of evolution to become a non-diet dietitian is I didn't like being in the position of telling people, this is the amount of food that you should eat, or this is the amount that you should have, or it felt very disingenuous to me. I was like, what's the amount that you want? That's how I eat. And in retrospect, there was a lot of thin privilege in that. Like part of the reason why I was able to eat like that is because of thin privilege protecting me from all of those external rules, despite my education. So really it's just providing this philosophy to everyone. Yeah. And I think, I know this is like a complete side tangent, but there's been this other world of thought that's been opened up to me also that it's not just about the thin privilege or the life and the influences that you might've had, but it's also about ACE traumas and different sort of things that when we're disconnected mind and body in a number of ways, how much more difficult that makes intuitive eating, so to speak, right? Like letting your body tell you how much you want and then eating that. But also like you're saying, like just the societal pressure of the commercials that we see or the Instagram ads and all this kind of stuff has effect on how we think and process about our eating habits, our body, all of that kind of stuff gets tied up in a way that our ancestors never really had to worry about, so to speak. So it's like, where do you even start to unravel what is affecting you or what privilege you may or may not have. Cause it's like this never ending, like you peel back the layers of the onion and it just keeps going and going. So I wanted to talk about one of the things I think we all experience. If you're listening to the show, then you have access to an electronic device, which means that you're being exposed to marketing and in the context of the history of diet culture. So I think like when we talk about anti-diet, like you said, you're not even really sure where it comes from. I use the phrase diet culture a lot. I think if we can even frame what that is for people, right? If we're fish swimming in the ocean, I that's the analogy that I use for diet culture, right? You don't even realize that you're in the water because it's just everywhere all around you and it's inherent. But I think being able to understand 
some of those specifics, especially how they influenced us as we were growing up. So for me, I did a show about having gone to weight loss camp for two summers when I was a middle schooler to high schooler. And I also remember slim fast being something that like I asked for, right? Like I wanted to be part of this diet culture and I genuinely believed that slim fast was going to be the solution to my problems. But I also went to Weight Watchers meetings and that was like, even after I'd had kids, that was the solution for me. Oh, let me just go there. I never did Jenny Craig, but I remember seeing those commercials and celebrities that I respected. And I think there's been countless more. I'm sure you can think of countless more having been steeped in this so long, but I'm just like, when I think about the history of my life, it was always around dieting. It was always like, that's just a part of your life. You're either on a diet or you're off a diet. But if you're off a diet, then you're bad and you're going to get back on a diet soon. It's just like my world revolved around dieting. How do you define diet culture? Like what, when did you wake up to being in the ocean? What was like that for you? It's interesting because I think I, as a dietitian, part of what drew me to becoming, this is like a long way to answer your story, I'm but here for it. <laughs> part of what drew me to becoming a dietitian was that I always loved food. Culturally, my family celebrates with food. It's always been a big staple. I grew up where people have farms and things like that in New England. And I recognized that food was really like a protected entity for me and it was pleasurable and satisfying. And I remember going to school, I actually needed a dietitian, which is why I became a dietitian. I had a broken jaw, which is a whole other story. And so that's why I ended up changing paths and became a dietitian or started to study. And I remember one thing we would always talk about in our schooling and things like that was like how we were against fad dieting. So fad dieting, we're anti-fad dieting, anti-fad dieting. There's a right way, quote unquote, to do weight loss. There's a safe, healthy way for weight loss. And that was the approach that I was taught. And I remember then going off into the world and practicing and starting to talk to people one-on-one -on -one and hearing the exact story that you're sharing, every single diet under the sun, doing all these things again and again, and this cycle of guilt and shame when the diet inevitably fails or it's a holiday or something where the individual feels that they are to blame for not being able to stick, quote unquote, to the diet. It made me realize that there's no difference between an intentional weight loss plan and a fad diet, really. There's no difference. The, the experience for the body is very similar, even if people that promote intentional weight loss may say it's different. It, the way that you feel that, especially with the trauma of a history of dieting, is the exact same. And so that was one of the things for me as a practitioner to be like, what are we doing here? Because I'm hearing that this person is restricting. I'm hearing that they feel shame. I'm hearing that they're not able to socialize the way that we say that they should be able to socialize and it is happening here. So for me, that was like my fish out of water moment where it felt like we really are swimming in it. And if anything, we're lying to ourselves by saying we're the good guys. Atkins is bad, but we're good. And that just didn't sit right with me. So 
I would say that was probably an awakening to this culture of fat phobia. I, I am curious when you say our bodies respond to these things either way, if you can share a little bit more about that. Cause I think that's such an important threat, like everything you just said, I'm so here for, like, that is such an important thread that I've been trying to help people understand in terms of what I've been doing to my body my whole entire life and what it is fighting against. Like I can't have body peace because I've been at war with my body for so long. So now I have to try to not just be gentle with it, but I have to try to teach it new things. Well, I think there's this idea that if you're like gentle with your approach to weight loss, it's going to be sustainable and it's not going to be harmful. And this idea that if you go slowly or if you don't restrict too much, if you find like the right zone for restriction, and all of this is not my philosophy, it's the what's out there. There's this idea that you'll be doing it right that way and it will be sustainable, it'll be non-harmful, it won't feel like the dieting that you remember. And I don't have a specific study to call on or anything like that, but I feel like many people have the experience where that is just not true. It feels the same in your body. And I think part of why that is the case is that dieting and chronic dieting is really a form of trauma because it's a form of restriction. It's a form of disconnection. It's a form of trying to convince yourself that you have enough when you don't have enough. And plus there's the greater, all the other aspects at play, whether it's misogyny or white supremacy or all these elements that are swirling that are interconnected with this. And I think you're just trying to, if you're on a gentle diet to lose weight for your health, it's like, you're just trying to convince yourself that what you're doing is not harmful, but for many people, it feels very harmful still because our bodies remember. Yeah. I think for me too, like there's that emotional aspect. And I love the idea also that we're all trying to achieve some sort of beauty standard that's unattainable because you can, even if you achieve like your goal thinness, then you don't have enough curves or then your hair or then whatever, right? Like it's, there's always something about the beauty standard that's unattainable. And that's why people are trying to sell us stuff at New Year's. And what's been interesting to me is I work on my own on dieting, so to speak, right? As I try to undo all of this in myself, I've realized how my binge eating habits, and I was never a true, I was bulimic when I was a teenager. So I binged then, but I never had intentional or unintentional adult binges. If I if I'm going to eat ice cream, I have absolutely no problem like eating a bowl of ice cream in front of other people. And I can keep a box of cookies in the house and not feel like I need to eat them all. Like they can just exist. And then when I want them four days from now, they won't be there because my teenagers will have eaten them. (laughs) That's a whole other thing. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't feel compelled to go eat those cookies right then. I can buy them with the intention of, oh, I know I'm going to get my period next week. I want to have something that I'm going to want or whatever. And the more that I'm working on this undieting, the more I see that about myself, that I was that way 
before as well. But if I restrict, right, and this has been a pattern that I've created for myself, whether it was intentional intermittent fasting or whether it was trying to go longer between meals, oftentimes it was self-punishment. Oftentimes it was telling myself like, no, you already ate six hours ago. You don't need to eat now or whatever, right? Like this mindset that I'm telling myself, I would constantly tell the talk track in my head of your body has enough fat. It can burn fat. It doesn't need food right now. And so... What I would do is I would get to a place where then I would be starving. My body's hormonal cues would literally go into starvation mode. Like I was so hungry that the only thing my brain would tell my body it wanted or needed were really high energy food sources. So I would, what I'm referring to now as binging was an inability to eat foods that I really wanted to eat or that would nourish me because I would have gone so long without nourishing and taking care of my body that it my body would say, we're going into starvation mode. You need to find the most dense food source possible right now. And that's when I would lean into foods that like reflectively were outside the healthy boundaries or whatever that definition is within a diet culture standard. And if I strip all of that away, I'm like, no, or sometimes we would call them highly palatable foods to Mm. justify demonizing them in a non-traditional sort of way. But looking back now, I'm like, no, I was going for that ice cream or I was telling myself I wanted a milkshake or it was because reflectively it had a lot of carbs. It had a lot of fat. It had a lot of oftentimes like protein, like whatever it was that I wanted, like my body was just like, oh, you need to go after this thing now because it was starving. And so the more that I am intentional about eating regularly, like telling myself, even if you're not hungry now, like that's, you need to re, I need to re-fix my brain who thinks that it's not hungry, but it really is. I no longer have those kinds of what I'm going to call binges, but I think there's, what I'm saying is I think there's a multitude of ways that we can define what a binge is. And for me, those were like caloric binges. Like my body was just like, I can't go any longer. You have to eat something that's super dense right now. And I bring all of that up because I think it's relative to this idea of how hard it is on our bodies when we diet and the break that we make with dieting in terms of the mind-body connection and all of that kind of stuff. And then our body will do what it needs to do to survive. It will tell, it will, it, it will make things right. And then we have, then of course, I'm going to have all that kind of guilt and shame and whatever. But meanwhile, like my body was doing what it is built to do. It was protecting me from what it assumed was starvation. And then it's going to store all that stuff because it doesn't know when the next time it's going to get nourished again. Do they talk about like hormone triggers and all of these kinds of things that play into how the body works from that perspective. Cause I know we're talking a lot about emotion, but I think I wish people understood more about the science of our bodies. Wouldn't it be great if children actually learned practical information in school, <laughs> this kind of stuff. Cause I think had I understood that at a younger age, I would have made a lot different choices. That is not how 
it was explained to me to nourish and love my body. To nourish and love my body, I needed to be restricting. That's how I was always taught. I love what you just shared because I think that is almost a nearly universal experience for people who have experienced some sort of restriction. And I don't like to get into the semantics of what is a binge and what isn't a binge because I think that's very subjective. But I often like to pose the question, is it binging or is it eating in response to restriction? And that's exactly what you just described, that it was your body responding to restriction in a way that's actually very wise and also plays into the exact narrative of our diet culture that sort of says, look at you, you can't control yourself, you need to reel it in, you need this support, you need this weekly session, you need this sort of... I come to hate the word accountability because of what it represents. Like you need this accountability. And the reality is it's your body responding to restriction. And from a hormonal standpoint, I, I there, there are hormones that work in pairs as related to hunger and satiety or blood sugar and things like that. If we see bl- the blood sugar dip, we can see the hunger hormone elevate. And it really is like a, a lovely dance that we then interfere with. And of course, there's nuance, there's certain things that can impact hormones and stuff like that. But one thing that certainly impacts hormones is the way that we interfere with them. Today's podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox. Whether you're trying to save time, money, or make choices for your health without dieting, they've got you covered. Get the New Year Bundle for free plus $10 off when you sign up at butcherbox.com slash wholeview and use code wholeview. I literally don't know how we would have gotten through 2022 without ButcherBox. I love that for our busy 2023, schlepping kids around and now driving coal to work, the dinner hour is constant chaos, but meals are not. We have come to rely on some go-tos that the kids themselves prepare from burger night to pancakes and sausage and roasted salmon with rice and greens to a stir fry, which is the perfect solution to not knowing what to make. The convenience of being able to throw together what we want anytime by shopping our freezer and letting the kids cook has been key. And I love that we can get what we want customized, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood, humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones, shipped for free, frozen right to your door in an eco-friendly, 100% recyclable box. They're a certified B Corp that focuses on quality for you, the animal, and the planet. There are a lot of food delivery service providers, and I've researched them all. None compare to ButcherBox. Get the new year bundle for free, plus $10 off when you sign up today. That's a 14-ounce pork tenderloin, two pounds of ground turkey, and four top sirloin steaks free in your first box. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash wholeview and use code wholeview to claim this offer. Friends, you are missing out. One of my favorite things that I did last year was start reading again. It has been so wonderful. I started in earnest mid-year and ended up reading 29 books. This year, my goal is to read 50. If you're looking for community or simply something more fulfilling than Netflix binges every night, join my book club. 
The Naughty Book Club is simply a way for us to chit chat and share some giggles or aha moments as we read. Then once a month, we hop on a Zoom and chat about the book, life, and more. It's all included for only $1 a month or $10 a year on patreon.com slash the whole view. You can also upgrade your membership to get exclusive follow on bonus episodes every week, commercial free podcasts, and even video format of it all. It's a way to support the show, but more than that, a way to join a community. You'll get email notifications so you don't have to download the app if you don't want to. And for years, we've said that you are the best friends that we've never met. And now we get to hang out. Come be naughty and read with me at patreon.com slash the whole view. Yeah, that's... It's interesting. I wanted to talk also about, so we've talked a lot about culture. And I think what's interesting is that the advertisers and the marketing people are getting smarter. And I think there was like this boom over the last couple of years as health at every size and anti-diet became words that more people understood. And shout out, I every week I'm like, shout out to Gen Z for changing the world. I have so much faith in them and like really pushing this movement forward. And one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was Noom. So I've been checked out on dieting as Noom became popular. So I love your overview because I have absolutely no idea really what it is. I haven't paid attention because I am not interested in anything related to that stuff these days. But I saw in one of your stories that someone said they paid money for this program that insisted it wasn't a diet. And then once they paid and were into the program, they gave them a caloric intake number, which I would argue is the definition of a diet. So I would love to talk more about how this history of diet culture has moved forward into now trying to trick people in new ways. Like what is Noom and how could they possibly say it's not a diet, take someone's money and then (laughs) tell them there's a a caloric number they need to intake. What is that all about? Oh my gosh. I'm so glad we're talking about this because I could like (laughs) really go on and on about Noom. So I just Googled Noom and literally the like head the heading says Noom, stop dieting, get lifelong results. And then underneath that, it says, ready to stop dieting, start Noom, an award-winning weight loss program. And they're just telling on themselves right there. And then it's not even behind a paywall. It's just right there. And I think part of it, I spend way too much time thinking about Noom. And I think part of why (laughs) they (laughs) can get away with saying that sort of thing is because they're doing that old thing that that I did a decade ago, where they say, you're not going to fad diet anymore. You're going to do this like reasonable weight loss approach that's going to be sustainable and feel non-restrictive. And I think they think that they're really doing something there. Like they really think that means something. And I've never done Noom, although I have tried to sign up for it even before today's call. It's been a while. So I was like, maybe I should see if they've changed anything. And so before we started talking, I actually logged on. And for the sake of the experiment, I said that I wanted to maintain my weight. And then I said, I want it. It also asks you like, are you all these questions? And then when I said, 
that I wasn't interested in weight loss, it says Noom is only for people trying to lose weight. So you can't even do Noom if you say you want to stay the same weight or whatever. So it's, it's for weight loss, just so we're abundantly clear. But when you actually get into the program, and this is what I've pieced together through what I've heard from people and as far as it let me go previously when I was investigating, basically they, you come up, it's the same old, like you put in your height and weight and you tell them the weight you want to lose and they calculate it based on the time frame you're interested in weight loss. They ask you if there's any sort of like big event coming up and when it is. And, but not a fad diet. <laughs> right. And then they do give you a calorie number. And then the way that they encourage you to stick to that number is through intense self-monitoring. So you're supposed to log what you eat, which is again, nothing new. And one element that is also not new, but maybe a little bit different than something like my fitness pal, they will color code your food that you eat. So they will rank the food that you eat with a stoplight categorization. So it's red, yellow, and green. And they categorize these foods based on like, basically it's related to calories. So the lower the calorie food, it's a green food. The higher the calorie food, it's a red food. And we're not even taking into account like nutrient to calorie ratio or anything like that. No, nothing like that. (laughs) And like, you're not dumb. Noom will be like, we don't there's no such thing as good or bad food, but then here's like but red food versus green light. food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you're not an idiot. Like you you understand that ranking a red food means it's bad and you shouldn't have it. And through my philosophy as a dietitian, all food has a purpose, but literally like even traditionally healthy foods that are non-disputed by our diet culture, like olive oil or something will get a red marking and it's come on. Oh my gosh. That sounds a lot like Weight Watchers. And I, so here's a story for you. I remember when I was doing Weight Watchers and they, so you could sign up to not do in person anymore. So I don't even remember what Mm. that program was called way back in the day before it was WW. And I was doing whatever the online program was because you're, I was living in so much shame. There was absolutely no way I was going to sit in front of a group of people and talk about what I ate. And although the program did talk about wanting you to hit whatever your points were, right? Which is very similar to this red, yellow, green. That's why it made me think of it. It did also state that if you had like leftover points at the end of the week, that was a good thing, right? So it was like, I interpreted that to mean that I should eat as few points as possible per day. And the idea of what nutrients I was getting within those points did not register with me. Like nutrients and nourishment and all of that kind of stuff was not on my radar. If my hair fell out because I was losing weight, that was okay. Like it was that kind of mindset. And I remember being on like a pretzel and water diet for a really long time because the points were basically like zero points and I could just eat pretzels and drink water and I would feel satiated. I'm using quotation marks when I say that. And as a treat, I would have cool whip, 
went and Cool Whip was somehow magically zero points. And so like looking back, I'm like, what nutrient, like how was my body surviving? I'm shocked I didn't have a bajillion cavities and different sort of things for my body trying to get the calcium or the different things that it needed into my system because and of course I was successful on that program as long as I could sustain eating only Cool Whip pretzels and water, I lost weight. And then of course, eventually I was like, oh my gosh, I'm starving. I need to eat something. And then I would immediately put on weight and be filled with this shame and negative cycle. But it just, it's interesting when you were talking about it, I remember thinking Cool Whip pretzels and water were my grain foods. And then as soon as I wanted, even if it was like a salad, I felt guilty because it was going to add more points and I'd gotten used to seeing only four points or whatever. It's just, the structure is horrifying. It is horrifying. And while you are talking, I'm wondering, so there's a quote by a therapist and fat activist. His name is Dr. Ed Burgard who was very influential at the beginning of the Health at Every Size movement and things like that. And they're quoted saying, and I'm going to not say it exactly right, so don't exactly quote me here, but something along the lines of, we prescribe to people in larger bodies what we diagnose Mm. as eating disorders for people in smaller bodies. And I'm just thinking about, here you are in your Cool Whip and Pretzel era, And like, that's an eating disorder, but at Weight Watchers, you get a gold star. And that's just how I look at these green foods. It's like this, the alarm bells should be ringing if a person is only eating quote unquote green foods. Mm. And yet they are literally getting applauded and doing it quote unquote right. Yes. I've heard that quote before and I love it. And a quote that you said that also was super helpful for me as I was trying to like piece all of this together in my brain was a starved mastiff isn't a poodle. So it created this like instant visual analogy for me also because my brother-in-law and his fiance have a mastiff. So I could Im- <sighs> immediately imagine Kira trying to be a poodle. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is not going to happen. And especially because like we as humans compare ourselves to that one ideal, right? Like that white supremacy beauty standard that we were talking about earlier, like this, whatever this one ideal is of human beauty and like side note, the fact that changes on a regular basis and that they're currently coming, like now it's no longer Kim's Curves and now it's, they call it heroin chic, which I have such a problem with. Yeah. The fact that we're even calling it that as I, I, can't, I can't even begin to talk about how problematic that is. So whatever this ideal human beauty body type is, which is a moving target and you can never achieve. If I think about that as dogs versus humans and we say things like no no person is the same we're all unique and that's what makes us great but we don't respect that from like a physical perspective that Mm. we as humans have just as much variety in how we look and behave and feel and all these things as dogs do and if we think about breeds of dogs as how very different like one my boston terrier looks from a mastiff but their dna is almost identical right so very similar 
and we think about like humans that way, would we give ourselves the same perspective? Would we give ourselves the same relief to say that like a mastiff isn't a poodle and you can't thin a mastiff into being a poodle and all that's going to happen is the mastiff is going to get sick the mastiff is going to feel shame the mastiff is going to like all these things it's never it's going to nothing positive is going to come from that comparison right like all we can do is try to love a mastiff for being a mastiff I know you you gave another quote of what you love but I, I wanted to share that one from you because I feel like it's such a powerful visual like sometimes I need a visual right to help pull it together. I have to say funny enough that is also another quote that stems oh. <laughs> from the work of Dr. Brigard. I that is not me I would recommend that everyone google it's called poodle science if you can google it it's a YouTube video but we'll it's put a, some, yeah we'll put some links and references in the show notes yeah for, it's for great it. it's a quick explainer for basically the concepts of health at every size that everyone is different and everyone deserves respectful care and if we have one set of standards that we are applying to everyone, we are going to be doing harm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I am excited to look into it myself and we'll definitely put some links in the show notes for everybody. Okay. So I know we're also talking about resolutions. Hopefully people are like, okay, I'm not going to do new for my <laughs> resolution now. <laughs> Got it. And I think one of the things that's hard for me is this idea of still wanting to be my best self. I still want to be healthy. I want to live as long as I can. I want to live happy. I want to be around to meet my great-grandchildren. So this idea of wanting to be our best self is not necessarily a bad thing. It does butt up against, like I said earlier, like healthism and orthorexia and disordered eating, like all of these things. It's so easy for them to come together and hard to parse out when someone is being manipulative and it's easy for you and I to see these new things and realize that they're playing a game. But I think it is in general hard to decipher how to go around building some of these healthy habits and to create a new mindset when we want to be healthy. But how do we do that without getting sucked into all of the bad stuff that's surrounding us? I want to say too that there's no judgment or shame also in participating in these sorts of things. I almost feel like sometimes once someone is aware of perspectives like this, and then they do engage in these sorts of diets or things, then there's even more room for shame or self-criticism. And it's not a moral failing on your part to also participate. We live in this really powerful culture and thinness is a currency. And I just want to kind of level set that there's a lot of compassion and no judgment and any anti-diet professional worth their weight is going to acknowledge that too. But I do think to your point, it's important to say that acknowledgement of these things doesn't mean that you have to entirely abandon the pursuit of something. I do think that we have to consider the pursuit of health behaviors and healthism and consider social determinants of health and recognize the ways in which capitalism is at play and that a lot of this is very intermingled. So it's an interesting dance to navigate, but I think if your takeaway is what the heck do I even do? If you're interested in connection with your body, if you're interested in reducing 
chaotic experiences with food. If you're interested in all of those things, like there, there are absolutely things that you can do. I recognize that it might feel hard to navigate exactly what to do or who to turn for help, turn to for help. It sounds like that's what you're saying. Yeah. And maybe we could give listeners a couple of like actionable suggestions that they can take to either be of service to work on themselves or to not work on themselves for a while. I think it it really depends on what someone's goal is and where they're at, but I'd love to hear any of your ideas on what some of those things that people could do if they are looking for a resolution, for example, like what is a healthy habit or a behavior or a mindset that they could take on? Sure. So a number, like almost where I start with every single person, almost number one is by encouraging consistent eating. So what you already alluded to, but can we explore the barriers that exist to eating consistently throughout the day? Because your body, regardless of its size, deserves fuel consistently every couple of hours. If you said six hours earlier, and I literally bristled because for many people, it's about three hours or so, maybe four for some people, certainly not for me. Your body is asking for some fuel for some nourishment. And that doesn't really align with our current way of living, whether it's being busy at work or busy with family, or maybe you have a reduced appetite or you have ADHD and it doesn't connect you to your cues or something like that, or you're used to dieting and you don't hear those cues. If we can get into a consistent pattern of eating, you are going to be eating nutritiously just right there, right then and there. That is a good thing for your body. And that's usually where I start with folks. Yeah. How's that for a tip? I love that. You're the first person that's ever said that. And I especially love it because I know how very important that has been for me. And I would say one of the ways that I have been able to do that is to find a protein bar. And that's because I like it that I just have everywhere Mm -hmm. in my car, in my glove box, at my desk drawer. And when my brain realizes that it's been more than usually for me, five or six hours that I haven't eaten, I tell myself, you're going to eat this protein bar, whether you want it or not. Like I just, I tell myself that because I, I know that I will feel better. And that then when I do want to eat a meal, I will be more regulated in the choices that I make. And I will enjoy that meal more if I don't. However, I would say even six, 12 months ago, even after I had embarked upon this journey of discovery of myself and all these things, I would say even, I would tell myself, we're going to have dinner in an hour or two. You don't need to eat that right now. Like you don't have access to a banana or an apple, so it's okay to wait. And really it's for me, it wasn't because I was noticing then that I wasn't able to regulate what I was eating at dinner or how much I was eating or what I would want after because I wasn't satiated enough by dinner. So the idea of that consistency, I think is really important. And for me, I just, I found a particular protein bar that I like, and I know that if I have it around, I will eat it and it doesn't bother me. I don't have a gallbladder. And after years of dieting Mm. and vegetarianism and all this stuff, like my stomach acid of digestion is all messed up. I think that it's important for people to find something like that for themselves. And it might not be a protein bar in the future. Like I imagine in a couple of years, I'll move from 
that because that feels still like diet food to me, right? Whereas a couple of years ago, I would have beef jerky everywhere because that would be the only thing that I would allow myself to eat in between meals or whatever. So I think like also this idea to give yourself grace when you're working on the consistency is another thing that I've needed to do. If It's okay if that's a piece of chocolate or it's okay if that's like what whatever it is for you just give yourself the grace that it's actually more important to eat something than to criticize what is the thing that you're eating because I that's definitely where my mind would go through with these things it's, oh it's better if I don't eat than if I eat this thing that's going to spike my blood sugar or it's bad for me or whatever but no the actual like restriction and the roller coastering of blood sugar is the problem. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have another one? Or are you going to stick, you're going to choose one and stick with it? Oh, I think what's funny is there's so much that we could do based on that rule alone. There's so <laughs> many directions that we could go. And I like, we could explore the food rules that kind of come up where you feel like you're being critical of the convenience yeah. food that you might grab there. This idea with intuitive eating that you just like only listen to your body. And yes, that's an aspect of it, but sometimes our cues are quiet and we have to intentionally recognize, Hey, in order to meet my needs, I'm going to have to have a snack right now, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. So that's usually where I start. I think as more generally speaking, if you start to just take notice of all of the ideas and rules and thoughts that you have that are around food and your body that are punitive, that kind of cycle through your head every day. It can be overwhelming, first of all, so be really gentle with yourself, but it almost lets you zoom out a little bit and recognize, oh, I'm having that thought again, rather than that thought being the sea that you're swimming in. It, it helps you to see it as something rather than feel it like it's coming from you. We're able to other it and go, oh, there's that thought that's related to diet culture. Or, oh, I have that thought because I did Noom and they told me that this food is freaking red. Like we're <laughs> able to zoom out a little bit. I think it helps us and our relationship with food and kind of, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're even changing anything. It's just taking stock. Like I think about when I first learned about the fact that I have raging anxiety, when I started to be like, oh, I'm having anxiety right now, that was helpful for me to label it. And so if you can start to label the thoughts that you're having and the judgment that you're having and the guilt that you're having, even if it's, I'm feeling guilty because I ate X food right now, it will zoom you out a bit and it may have more of an impact than we can imagine here. Yeah. And especially as it relates to that thoughts that often creep in at the beginning of the new year, as you're seeing so many advertisements of people telling you that you need to lose weight, that all of this kind of stuff, like being able to just like self-identify and separate those concepts from how you're feeling or what you want, or even that your weight is related to the foods that you're eating, because for a lot of people, there's a lot more to it. So yeah, I think being able to get those thoughts is a is another great one as you embark upon that regular eating. I know for me, like that's how I was able to then identify what those binges were about for me or all that kind of stuff. It slowly rolls in. But also if you are feeling like you want to talk with Kathleen about what else you could do, you can do virtual counseling at Kathleen Meek. 
hanrd.com. We're going to put a link in the show notes, but it's spelled exactly how you would think it was spelled with a lot of E's. There are a lot of E's. (laughs) Kathleen Meehan. And you can also find her at the RD Nutritionist on Instagram. And I'm sure you have a link in your bio that'll take them to your website and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And Kathleen has fantastic social media. I would definitely suggest that you follow for being able to notice these things and call them out as you are living your life. I think you do a great job, Kathleen, of taking things that people are experiencing regularly like that we can all identify with and either make fun of or call out in a way that doesn't feel shameful sometimes like you said like still if I'm participating in some things I don't want to also feel shame about still working through that so I think you do a good job of being able to relate a lot of that in a educational and entertaining sort of way on social listeners if you want to hear what we really thought we'll be over on patreon.com slash the whole view which is the best place to ask questions too if you love the show that we create and produce ourselves the patreon is a great way to support the show but so is leaving a review and hitting the follow or subscribe button in whatever app you're using so that others can find us as well and as I mentioned We'll put a list of resources in the show notes for you at realeverything.com. Kathleen mentioned a couple of resources, so we'll put all of those there. And I want to thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate your willingness to be open to growth through your own personal change. And no one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can become better versions of ourselves. So Kathleen, thank you so much for being on the show today. And Happy New Year, by the way, listeners and Kathleen. I forgot to say that at the top of the show. Yes, thank you. Happy 2023. Yay. Is there anything I forgot that you want to tell listeners about? I think that's it. The one takeaway I was just thinking about when you were talking is that you don't have to be all in to consider this stuff. Mm -hmm. We welcome anyone with even an ounce of curiosity. Like it's that's enough to stick around and absorb what you absorb and we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. Okay, thanks, listeners. I'll be back again next week. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.